Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. No battle is ever won. Victory is an illusion of philosophers and fools. This assessment was never more in evidence than it was during this impalpable peregrination of 2020. Welcome to the Steelers Outpost Podcast, a proud member of the Armchair All-Americans Network. It's December 14th, 2020. This is Tom coming to you from the Sawdust Studios in the Washington, D.C. Outpost. Nick joins me from the Houston Outpost. And for the second time this season, it is my sad duty to recap that the Steelers fall to the Bills 26-15. Unfortunately, my betting advice for this season on betting on the Steelers every single game is only now around 80 to 90% effective. I'm not a math guy. But when you place those bets, make sure to place them at Bet Online, baby. Football is almost over. We only have a few weeks left. Bet Online's going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on all the action. They've got game spreads, totals, team and player and coaching props. Bet Online gives you more options to wager than any other place online in any state where it's legal at least, right? Head to Bet Online today. Use that promo code armchair. Have some faith in the Steelmen. Throw some money at them beating the Joe Burrow-less Bengals this weekend, perhaps. And take advantage of all those great sign-up bonuses when you use that promo code armchair. Bet online. Ching yours online. Sports book experts. Have we taken the fork in the road that leads to hopelessness? Is the hope dead? Is that what you're asking me? Yeah. It's not down this road that we're walking on right now. Hope is not dead, but it is at best on life support. <laughs> She's not as beautiful as she was before. Hope. She doesn't look good. You guys seen the end of the notebook? She doesn't look like she does. It's no Rachel McAdams at the end. No offense, lady. But yes, it, I mean, that's what the theme of this podcast is going to be, right? Everybody knows that we're all thinking it. It's all over Twitter. It's not just because they lost this week. It's not just because they lost last week after 11 victories in a row. It's not just because they look like a JV team, according to Mike Tomlin, and our eyeballs against a literal JV Ravens team the week before that. It is just looks like the Pittsburgh Steelers have done a 180 from what they look like in the beginning of the season, at least where the wins come from. Uh, but certain things, particularly when it comes to this putrid offense, you know, they've been able to cover up for that the whole year. But what we've seen really culminated in that embarrassment of a Sunday night national performance against the Bills uh, last night. And, yeah, it looks bad, and it has not gotten any worse, or any better. Let me just say that this open inauspiciously, to say the least, with Ray Ray McLeod running the ball out, and you know my philosophy on this. If the <laughs> right. ball's three deep into the end zone, take the 25 yards. Not only did he only get it out um, to the t- 10, 10. He was tackled by Dirty Red. I know. Did you see Vince Williams tweeted, oh, man, y'all let Dirty Red get the first tackle, too? By the way, that was an omen. And I'm an omen guy now. You know, it's a tricky year in 2020. Usually not an omen guy. More of, hey, coincidence, free will, natural world. I'm an omen guy now. You got to take inspiration where you can get it, right? If you're Tom Brady, you got to tell people that, tell yourself that people still think you suck or whatever. Antonio Brown, same thing, right? Manufacture some of that stuff. But, hey, there are some moments out in the world. And if Dirty Red making the first special teams tackle wasn't an omen, and by the way, he didn't just make the tackle. He crushed Ray Ray McLeod, our first awesome return man in a while. I mean, it seemed like the signs were right in front of us, right? But the beginning of the game, if we just give a, a very quick recap – 
you're right. It, it didn't start well when the game started. But overall, the first half was, was actually encouraging in some ways because I think it was the best defensive performance maybe of the year in certain ways because the Steelers had not played an offense like this yet. You have an MVP candidate at quarterback who they made look like a rookie again in the first half, forcing, what, three turnovers in the first half. They were forcing three and outs. The big theme of the first half to me was the Steelers' defense was using a lot of exotic blitzes, and this is the Pittsburgh way, confused them with, with kind of craziness. It's not as much game plan specific as it is chaotic, and Josh Allen was not ready for it, and he couldn't handle it. And um, he was holding on to the ball. He wasn't able to get timing with receivers. Even when they were open, receivers were catching or dropping passes, and the defense looked lights out. But it's the offense, right? And, and we said before this game, we had said on Twitter a few times, and I think I might have said it last week, this game against the Bills, the Bills should have been favored by six or seven because they've just been playing lights out for the past few weeks while the Steelers have playing, played like garbage. And all we wanted to see is, hey, even if the Steelers lose this game, it's not the end of the world because the Bills are great. And, you know, the Bills could beat almost any other team. We just need to see some improvement on offense. We need to see the Steelers do what everybody in the nation now knows they need to do and throw the ball downfield a little bit. Not necessarily bombs, but like 20 yards over the middle of the field. We need to be able to see them pick up a first down running the ball on third and one. You know, just slight improvements. And uh, it started off, I mean, as bad as you could hope. It's a screen pass to Deontay on the first play to just hold his hand, your most dynamic receiver, who has fallen off a cliff like we have never seen before in the past two weeks with the most uh, pronounced case of the yips we've ever seen. The guy leads the NFL in drops, and they don't even count half of the drops. A screen pass to him with nobody on him. It hits him in the chest, and he drops it, and you know this guy's done at that point, right? I mean, it started off, so it, it was an auspicious, you know, to begin with. Like, okay, defense looks awesome, but oh my goodness, they're not even trying to make any strategic chance, changes. First pass is a screen pass. That's the first play of the game. Second play, second and 10. What does Randy do? Runs it. He pitches it to Claypool behind the line, which is, okay, cool, you're bringing some of that stuff back. But once again, it's second and 10, and you're throwing the ball behind the line of scrimmage and then the third play Deontay runs the wrong route and you realize oh Deontay is going to be a train wreck so you know that's how the first half went just much more of that they didn't even attempt to make a change which we'll talk about that a lot during the course of this off uh, uh during the course of this podcast and then the whole game stopped when Ben Roethlisberger threw a horrible pick six two feet behind Juju on um, pretty much the last play of the first half and from that point the uh, Bills got the ball back in the sec- start of the second half scored a touchdown I believe scored again and the game was just never even close from that point and the game was over I'm not a huge believer in momentum swings in football but I have I don't remember ever seeing anything switch off or maybe just switch off at the end of the first half after that, that pick six. It seemed like it yeah. totally deflated everything. I think actually what happens is that Buffalo made some adjustments. I mean, you made the point about Josh Allen just not – was he was under relentless pressure. But second half, I think the pressure might have been there, but they just figured that out. And they figured out where yeah. the receivers were going to be. Yes, yeah, even Mike Tomlin said that. And it was obvious to see. Look, Josh Allen was freaking out when the blitz was coming at him. This is why we've never been able to get to Brady or the rare times we've played Rodgers or Breeze with this heavy blitz thing because they know when you're blitzing that many people, all you got to do is make a three-yard pass and the guy's going to have tons of room to run with because there's only so many guys back there in the defensive backfield. And Josh Allen really adjusted – I mean, and by the way, you guys, this is what we mean by the Steelers have really good corners. I mean, they got four good corners, but they don't have a single corner who can run man-to-man with an elite receiver in the league because the corners are just not that fast for the Steelers. And Stephon Diggs just carved the Steelers into pieces. I mean, there was a series uh, in the second half where he made, I don't know if it was a Sutton fall. I mean, it was a huge push-off. It was brutal. But it was a huge push-off on one play, and then on the next play for the touchdown, he made uh, Nelson fall. So, yeah, he, you know, Allen adjusted. The coaches clearly calmed him down. He learned, hey, you just got to get the ball out quick into the flat, and, and these guys are over the middle of the field, and these guys are going to be open. So, yeah, they adjusted. And, and that's basically what happened in, in the whole 
game, you know? Uh, you're right. The momentum, it just changed because the defense, with all of their injuries, was playing incredible in the first half. And how pissed do you think you have to be at, at Ben at a certain point when he throws it all away on one really bad pass? By the way, it's one minute and 22 seconds left. Eventually, I guess, 55 seconds when they scored. You have plenty of time for a two-minute drive. And what do the Steelers do? Throw five yards. Throw five yards again. And then you throw five yards every time, the team's going to jump the pass. So you have to be perfectly accurate with all your passes. But I am just, and I think that it's probably time for us to get to theme number one for this game, really for the season, right? The offense is officially broken. You are down three starting linemen now. Well, two starting linemen and, and, and a back, and one of the starting linemen's backup. And I just, I don't see any way that this offense will improve despite some of the talent. Because after what happened against Baltimore, you would think, okay, surely they'll adjust their strategy versus Washington after being exposed, right? Nope. Not a single adjustment. Okay. Well, that game was on national TV, too. You were embarrassed. Maybe this is what the Steelers need to spur them to action against Buffalo, right? You're not going to do the exact same thing again. Nope. No adjustment again, even when they're down. Really, no adjustment. And so I don't know if they even can do it with the personnel they have. This offensive line is getting absolutely handled. And the scariest part is Mike Tomlin flat out denies that there's even an issue really with the overall strategy of the offense, which is probably the most terrifying part of all of this. Well, I think you pointed out um, a huge problem with the, with the offensive line, right? I mean, we had, yeah. unfortunately, you got your wish, and he promptly got hurt. Dotson, yeah. Kevin Dotson goes out right. with his shoulder. I don't know how significant that is, but we're shifting guys left and right. We got, we're down to Gerald Hawkins. I think we we're going to be... <laughs> Who? They're gonna Mason call Wisniewski. Would go in. They're gonna call Wisniewski back there. Yeah, yeah. Big head can get in there and block some people. You're right. So, okay, we've kind of talked about the game a little bit. We we know what the game flow was. It was a, a valiant defensive effort in the first half. Putrid, identical carbon copy of the offense in the first half. Deontay drops two balls. Tomlin's true to his word. He benches him. Washington comes in, catches a really nice touchdown pass, a great throw by Ben, showing that he's not totally washed up yet. He still can put some zip on his throws, even if he's, um, you know, uh, he doesn't have all of that there. And then it just fell apart after the pick six, and, and Josh Allen figured the Steelers out. So the offense is broken. And here, by the way, I watched the press conference with Mike Tomlin after, and some people, I was disappointed in what the reporters were asking. Like, they were asking general questions, just saying, like, can you recover from this? And I was waiting for someone to ask the damn specific questions we've all been wondering about. Number one, like, what the hell is up with this refusal to go away from the short passing game? And then finally, a couple people did. A couple people did ask the right question. So Dejan Kovacevic, I think that's how you say Dejan's last name. It's DK Sports, the guy who made DK Sports. He asked, uh, here's a tweet I put up last night. When he asked why the offense refuses to go downfield, Tomlin responded by saying they need to, quote, win possession downs more often. And I said he's basically saying it's a play here and there, thus implying that there is not a major schematic offense a major schematic flaw with the offense as a whole. And that terrifies me that you don't think that there's a major issue. Yep. They were one of 10 on third downs. They're 33% on third downs for the last three weeks. Cumulatively, they're 0 for four on fourth downs the last three weeks. And we know that they're bad in situational football, but it's so clear that this is because even the other teams have told you on national television, it's because they know what the Steelers are going to do. And by the way, Chris Sims made a great point. Uh, on TV last week saying whenever it's if it's third and three the Steelers run four yard routes to get the first down if it's third and ten the Steelers run 11 yard routes to get first down so you always know they're going to throw to the sticks so everything you're doing is predictable so your lack of conversion is a result of your predictability on offense which we've been screaming about all year and this is where I wonder there there has to be something that they're not telling us and the big thing that I wonder at this moment, besides you're reaping what you sow by promoting a 70-year-old offensive coordinator who's never been an offensive coordinator, I mean, you're like, we'll go with Randy because we don't want to change the offense too much. Well, 
you're, the guy's not an offensive coordinator. He doesn't know how to sequence plays. He's overly predictable. He's in over his head. But I do wonder how much of this has been behind the scenes. Apparently, the knee problem is an issue. Uh, at Derek the Kid broke down a couple good, uh, made a couple good breakdowns of Ben online showing how his legs are not working with, he's not using his legs when he throws. I mean, it's all arm. It was all arm on that throw to Juju. Derek had a good breakdown of that where Ben's leg is pointed directly to the sideline, not at his target. And so what's going on there? And my suspicion, because it is so bizarre how they haven't even adjusted at all, I have to wonder, is Ben telling them that he doesn't want to get hit? Is he telling them, like, hey, just protect me. Like, I can't sit back there and take hits all day. Is that what this is about? Because I've seen Ben take massive hits and make throws this year. That ADR touchdown to Claypool against the, the Broncos, he took a massive hit. So it's not like he completely refuses to do it, but this is what you worry about with a guy who's coming off surgery and who's 38, and you saw, you've seen it happen with Tom Brady. He's missed big throws this year because of that. You've seen it happen with Breeze. He has to throw the ball immediately. You saw it happen with Eli Manning. And is Tomlin just covering up for Ben is what I'm wondering. Or is he really this dense where he's not changing it and he just says, nope, we'll keep doing this failing strategy and eventually it'll turn around? Well, it's interesting. It goes back to the offensive line for me, right? Yeah. They, are they giving him enough time? First of all, we can't run. And maybe making another aside, Jalen Samuels had more got more snaps than James Conner. Not that I think it makes a big difference. He, he probably didn't do much worse than Conner until you have an offensive line. Nobody's going to do well. But yeah, Benny Snell football wasn't in evidence yesterday either. So very odd manipulation of the backfield. But the question is, is the offensive line giving Ben enough time to throw down downfield? It's hard to know that he's, you know, they keep touting the fact that he's throwing the ball faster than anybody in the NFL, which, you know, sort of is evidence of what you're talking about. Like, I don't want to get hit. I'm getting rid of this ball. Yeah. So guys only get a little bit of time to get downfield. You're right, and that's a huge part of it. And the answer is, and this has been circulating around on Twitter, luckily people are aware that this is a multifaceted problem. Uh, I mean, when you want to just blame Randy, you, you can't do that. But then there's other people who are saying, like, you can't blame Randy because people aren't doing their jobs. It's like, well, no, both are true. I mean, if you look at the splits, like Jalen Samuels is, is creeping around. I mean, you're taking Claypool off the field to put Samuels on. I mean, you're like, you know, the cute things where they took James Conner off the field to put Benny Snell in on the goal line. Like, Benny Snell's not a better goal line runner than, than Conner, although maybe he is right now because, to me, Conner looks a little broken too. I mean, he's got holes that he's not running through. He's spinning randomly, and his vision isn't there. He might be kind of screwed up because of the lack of blocking has made him get a little desperate. You might be having, like, a little Sam Darnold situation here. When you break down when nothing's working around you, every time he touches the damn ball, he has to dodge a guy to get back to the line of scrimmage. But, yeah, Randy's a problem. He doesn't know how to sequence plays. He's incredibly predictable. When you and I are calling out every play on third down in whatever distance it is, it's a problem, and I guarantee you that Sean McDermott from the Bills can call that stuff out, right? He doesn't know his personnel that well. He doesn't realize his tendencies. Uh, There is something up with Ben where I don't think Ben is washed, but I just don't think he's – good enough right now to overcome a crappy offensive line and receivers that drop the ball all the time and terrible play calling that puts you in situations that require you to throw the ball into tiny windows because everyone's freaking super covered every time, right? The offensive line, they suck. I mean, they can't get a push in the run game. They don't necessarily protect that well when he fades back that way. You're right. But my argument will be like, well, you have to take the chance. Like, it's Super Bowl or bust this year for the Steelers. Not only because they started 11-0 and they have the damn roster to do it, but because we all know it's going to get blown up next year to an extent. Yeah, they're not going to be crap next year, but you are going to lose a lot. You have to fire Randy because we know if you have Randy, you're not winning the Super Bowl for sure. I mean, the offense last year was better with Duck than where it is the past three weeks. Like, let that sink in. They're averaging 14 points a game right now, and really that's only because the defense gives them one possession at the opponent's 30-yard line per game. So they're really averaging maybe one drive a game, the Steelers right now. I mean, you can't bring Randy back. But if you don't bring Randy back, to me it always takes like two years for the offense to really understand a new coordinator. You remember with Haley, it took a couple years. Even with Rodgers and Lafleur last year, the offense was really bland, and now this year it's taken off with really the same personnel. So it's like... You've put yourself in this horrible situation 
by doubling down with some guys from your past, you know, to try and, I, I, I don't know, salvage something for this year. So it's a problem with everybody. I mean, Deontay and Ebron dropping the ball again, I, I was legitimately surprised. You think at a certain point they would <laughs> start catching it. And I actually, you know, I felt bad for us, and I, and I thought that Tomlin made the right decision after the first drop from Deontay. Like, give him one more. Because he is the best playmaker. And even when they put him back on the field, I thought that was the right idea in the second half because they sucks. I mean, you can't get any worse. And he did make a few plays. But our good friend of the podcast, David Nichols, knowledgeable football brain over there, had a great idea this morning when I was texting back and forth with him uh, regarding how to fix Deontay and Ebron. He thinks that uh, they should just set up 8 to 10 jugs machines in a circle, put Deontay and Ebron in the middle, crank up the speed, and let them fend for themselves. You have two choices, catch the ball or die. And you know what? I'm thinking Thunderdome might be the only solution for them because they are two great playmakers for the Steelers. So with all the injuries you have, you also have like pseudo injuries to your two most consistent playmakers down the field because they can't catch the ball. So you're right. It's everything. Maybe Ben doesn't want to get hit. I mean, he's made plenty of great plays while getting hit this year, so it's not gone like it was with Eli or some other players. I, I kind of compare him to what Brady's like in Tampa Bay right now. Um, the line can't protect, your best receivers can't catch, and your offensive coordinator isn't putting other good receivers like Juju or Claypool in position uh, to, to make catches. And for some reason, Tomlin won't make the adjustment. I think there's so many adjustments to make. It seems like Deontay is a young guy who's it's gotten into his head. Yeah. But Ebron seems like a guy who can't catch. And I wonder if it's just fear of getting hit. Sometimes the way you see him sort of he'll catch a ball back to the defensive backs and sort of just fall down on the ground. Yeah. It, it, his level of experience, what explains the fact he's not catching? I don't think it's the yips. Well, I know you didn't have a ton of familiarity with Ebron before he got to the Steelers. This is him. This is his whole career. But, but that's what, you, what I'm saying. Yeah, At this point, you, you either got out of the league exactly. or you've shaken it off. There's just something fundamental about his style. Let's go back to the coordinators. High variance. I, high variance. That's a, that's a diplomatic way. <laughs> yeah, he's like, well, Martavis was the same way, remember? It's like, well, you can't catch, but damn, the big plays legitimately make it worth it. So sometimes you deal with it with those guys. But then if they get really in their, their heads and they go on a major slump, then you're in trouble like what Ebron's doing right now. And then the fact that he catches the two-point conversion – that's an incredibly high level of difficulty. He's just one of those guys. You catch that one, but you drop the third and one with it in your bread basket. Like, it's crazy. And I agree. It is a lack of physicality and maybe a little fear of getting hit because he always drops those third and one passes when there's people all around him. But it's like, dude, they're not even getting a running start on you. It's not going to hurt that bad. Just take it. It might be a good time to go to a new OC next year simply for the fact that Ben's going to be his last, maybe next to the last year, and transition's going to happen. And I would like to see, and we were talking about this before the podcast, these guys are not in demand anywhere for a head coaching job or like Munchak, you know, sort of a lateral move yeah. somewhere else. You, is that who you want as your coordinator? I, I'd prefer to have a guy who's in demand. And I'm changing my mind on this. I'm not sure I want an up-and-comer who's going to stay with me for one or two years. I want a fired head coach. No, I I. I definitively do not want that. I think that that's a problem with, uh, with coaches and coordinators in the league is they recycle. There's this incestuous like, oh, we'll just give Marvin Lewis another job. They're talking about giving Marvin Lewis another job uh, after 0-9 in the playoffs for the Bengals. And, I, and everyone's trying to make an excuse. Oh, well, he turned the Bengals around. He took the Bengals to the playoffs you know, five or nine times or whatever it is. And that, that means a lot, doesn't it? And my response to that is like, you think he's the only guy that could have done that? Like, you don't think that – if you said that, then Sean McVay, Kyle Shanahan, and Sean McDermott, Matt LaFleur, all these guys – I mean, McDermott's a little bit older than those guys. All these guys want to come up, and what did I just name? The best coaches in the league outside of Peyton and Belichick, you know? And Tomlin, Tomlin came out of nowhere. He was young. He had one year as a defensive coordinator. You need to be more aggressive and taking younger people who are more cutting edge 
and willing to adjust rather than the Feetners and the Butlers of the world who are doing the same thing that the guys who coach them were doing, you know, years ago. So I much prefer the, the other guy. It's going to be really rare that you that he's only going to last like, yeah, if he lasts two years, then whatever. But at least he brings some more information to the to the culture where you can potentially get some more. Maybe there's another guy behind him, you know, but this way you're just recycling old crappy ideas. Matt Canada. Who knows? I mean, he's right there. He's maybe. right there. He's sitting right over there. He's having a moral burrow. He's got nothing else to do. Promote him. It's not a terrible idea. It's scary because it's from within. And like, has he coached anywhere else and had a lot of success that way? And he was kind of up and down in his college career, but he had some really high highs. But yeah, I would, I would put him in that list. You got to look at people who are forward thinking. And Matt Canada is definitely one of those guys with, you know, the motion based offense. Because the Steelers. They abandoned Matt Canada's offense, you know, and, and, and it's shown that it hasn't helped at all. Well, it's, gonna, it's a very good point. If Tomlin does, doesn't back uh, cutting-edge strategy or making changes on the fly, it doesn't matter who you point as the OC or the DC. Speaking mm-hmm. of which, shall we move on to the next theme of the game? Yeah, the defense is phenomenal, but they're depleted. I mean, you're down your starting star outside linebacker, your star inside linebacker, his backup. You started a safety at inside linebacker who actually played pretty well. Marcus Allen had a couple nice plays, all things considered. Avery Williamson played all right as well. But I just think that the offense puts them in a hole with all these three and outs. And this is the way football works. Like, I think that people say, like, oh, they were great in the first half, but they sucked in the second half. I thought that they were downright incredible in the first half, and your job as an offense is to friggin' take advantage of that and stop going three and, and six and out, right? And because the defense can help you build a lead. With how they were playing, they were stifling the Bills where you could have been up 13, 14 points in the first half, but you keep putting them back on the field over and over again. They also run out of tricks, right? The more snaps they're on the field, like Josh Allen eventually is going to figure them out and Brian Dayball, a great quarterback, young quarterback and a great coordinator. So you just didn't take advantage of what they had and then eventually they broke down. But we know the Steelers aren't the Jaguars defense from a few years ago where it's like, yeah, they had the pass rush, but they had these corners who, like, well, it's strategy or no strategy. These dudes were running with Antonio Brown until the fourth quarter. You know, we don't have exactly that. Like, eventually, it's going to ebb and flow. But maybe if you had let them play with a lead, it, it would have changed around a little bit. So I just think that there's too many injuries. Even Tomlin admitted so in, in a diplomatic way when I think Brooke Pryor or Didi Kinkabwala asked him about the injuries and does it make it hard to game plan defensively? He's like, yeah, of course it does. But that's life in the NFL. You put a plan together with the people that are there. So I think, uh, yeah, they, I think that they played great. I am, uh, Alex Highsmith has been very good so far in, in relief of Bud. So that's, you know, encouraging. We'll see where that goes. But um, I don't really put too much of this on, on the defense, as bad as some of those uh, second-half highlights looked. I think that they just got depleted and, you know, these last few weeks have, have – left them shorthanded look at the time in the second half the Steelers had the ball for four minutes and 42 seconds Buffalo had a 10 minutes in the fourth quarter the Steelers had three minutes and 38 seconds to to Buffalo's 11 yeah they were broken down I think uh, I think physically and then emotionally you know you just give up because when Ben threw that pick the the problem was you and I know like oh my goodness, they can't put together a drive against the JV Ravens or Washington, and they haven't put one together today. And back in the day, we used to think, okay, they'll they'll crack it open. They'll they'll figure it out. Even before AB, you know, with Heinz Ward and Wallace, even on those teams, which aren't even quite as talented as the, I mean, Wallace was great, but we just, you just know, and I think you know if you're on the defense, oh my God, we, like, we have to be perfect. And then once they scored on that first possession, the, the, you know, the Buffalo Bills it just became too deep of a hole. Did you see T.J. Watt end up putting his hands on his hips at one point, even before the play was over? And I, I was sort of like, he's, oh, no, I didn't. he's dialing it in. But, you know, the more I would look at this, the more like he was on the field all the time. That's a good point. He's, I mean, got, he's, got an, he's got an insane motor, and he'll run all the way across, the, you know, east to west across the field on a play. But even right. he was starting to break down. Yeah, and he played all right. He played pretty well. I mean, they were going to score. Did they? When did they get that field goal? At the was that maybe the first possession? That well, was the, the last play. Not the first possession. Of the first half. 
Or the last, their last possession of the first half. Uh, well, there was some point. Oh, oh no, no, no. At the, the, the end Steelers of the game. The had the scored a touchdown, and they actually no. converted the extra point for once. Same, pl- same place where Emmanuel Sanders used to drop that pass every time on a two-point conversion. I still remember Sanders. Oh, yeah, you're so good. Um, and uh, then... No, the Steelers scored a touchdown. You're right. The and Bills marched Buffalo came down. back and got the field goal. Right. And then TJ stopped them basically on third down with a huge holding penalty. But if the holding wasn't there, there's a good chance that he would have got Allen. So he did make his presence known a little bit. But so far without Bud... And by the way, I don't know if that was a backup tackle or he's regarded pretty, pretty poorly by the NFL... You would have thought that maybe TJ would have had a couple extra uh, plays. But honestly, I think a lot of that is due to the fact that his job against Josh Allen and Lamar and these running quarterbacks is not so much crash in. It's do not let him escape. Because once he escapes, you, you've got big problems because you're, you're not going to be able to cover Stephon Diggs that long down the field. So he played well. I will say one bright spot, maybe a dark spot, depending on how you look at it. On the defense is we have been on this the whole season. Mike Hilton and Cam Sutton are the best corners on the Steelers. I mean, and Joe Hayden, who didn't play, and Steven Nelson, they're good. It's no slight on them, but Sutton is the stickiest corner. He has the best ball skills. He has the best, like, he's always around the ball. I mean, he had multiple plays on the ball yesterday as well, an interception or two interceptions yesterday. He is really talented, and they need to keep him somehow. And, And Mike Hilton... He's Jamal Adams light. I mean, he's Jamal Adams as a corner. I mean, he makes so many plays at the line of scrimmage. You cannot run a screen to Hilton's side. They tried two or three times. Every time he blew it up in the backfield, he's incredible. He had another tackle in the run game. He had some decent plays in the pass game. He had the big boneheaded pass interference downfield. I mean, the downfield covering isn't his total strength. But I don't, admittedly, I don't really know so much off the top of my head about the dead cap money uh, from Hayden and Nelson, especially because they're free agent signings, but I hate to say this, I love Joe Hayden and it would kill to lose guys like Joe Hayden, Juju, Connor, these great personality guys, but I think it's almost a no-brainer now that you gotta cut bait with with like a Hayden or someone else to find a way to keep at least one of the cornerbacks between Sutton and Hilton, and if you have an ability to keep both of them, you need to do that because that that's like, Hayden's like it or not, Hayden's going to fall off a cliff soon. I mean, that's what happens with corners, you know? So you could actually keep, as, as dark as the salary cap situation looks, and like, hey, Ben's going to retire soon. If you, and, and my other point is, if there is truth to this offense being exclusively short passing in order to protect Ben, why do you, why do you keep him? And this is my idol here. I... It kills me to say this, but it would kill me more to see Ben go through what uh, Philip Rivers is going through or what Eli Manning went through, you know, when you kind of suck at the end of your career. And even Ben admitted it in the post-game press conference. He says, if I can't play well enough, then I should hang it up. I know people make a big deal about it. It's sort of like after that Jaguars game when he mentioned that a few years ago. I don't think it's him having doubts. I, I really think that, you know, he, he's thinking about this and realize if I can't do those things, then I don't want to hurt the team. And that's my thing. If that is true, if they're not making plays because they have to compensate for him not getting hit, then there's no, you're really handicapping your team that way. Now, if he had a little bit more protection and we can see them throw the ball down the field, then great. He, we know he still has physical talent to play. But back to my, my point about Hilton and Sutton, if you could keep them, then you have TJ, you know, to it. Hayward's probably still got a couple more years left. Those defensive linemen can last a little bit longer. Bush... Minka, Terrell Edmonds, you have the most, Highsmith, most of that defense is actually going to be intact going forward. And you do have some young pieces on the offensive side of the ball with, you know, Claypool. I have no idea what to make of Deontay right now. Um, You could probably get a running back in the draft this year. Dotson, uh, Chooks, you have youth is what I'm pointing out. Like, you could conceivably transition into a next era and be good but if you lose Hilton and Sutton to me I'm like oh you're just you're starting from ground zero with corners and we know how that works with the Steelers so if last night showed me anything those guys came and showed up to play in a huge way so to answer your question Hayden would be three million dollars dead cap space next year Mm -hmm. Nelson at six and Ben at 22 and as you know Cam Sutton's getting Cam, Cam Sutton is essentially a volunteer football player at his level. So next year he would need to be paid. And Mike had 
Hilton becomes a an unrestricted free agent next year. And their price so is I, going I take up. your point. Hmm? Their price is going up with these national the TV performances. Up. Yeah. Hey, I just before we forget this, I had this note to myself. Something weird happened. Why do you think Henry Mondo and Jordan Dangerfield were on the goal line stance at the that point? They, only, they each played three plays. Is that their specialty? Uh, well, Mondo's a big body, so you want to get him in there. And then Dangerfield, again, he's a big hitter. So, yeah, you just want, you want some power to stop them on the goal line there. Yeah, that worked great. Well, Mondo got a complete bullcrap roughing the passer call, so he actually got a QB hit in this game where he hit him high and then just slid off of him, and it's just a yeah. phantom call. You know, I was so pissed off about that when it happened, but I do have to admit, like, it does happen over the course of the NFL season. Every team's going to be the victim of a bad uh, late hit. We were the beneficiary of one against Ben. I don't remember what game it was, Ravens or something like that, but I do remember talking to you like someone, uh, someone's hand grazed his helmet. So I guess that's a little different. Because that is the rule. The hand can't hit the helmet. And we said, well, that is by the book of the law, the rule. But we know that it should, you know, we lucked out with that. It was just lucky that someone's hand grazed Ben's Ben's helmet. Whereas this was a bad call by the referee, a bad interpretation of the rule. He hit him high with plenty of time left. And and I don't know if he just slid down and they thought he hit him low. But terrible calls by the ref. Um, Yeah. Why don't we insert a little uh, Christmas gift suggestion in here at this point? You're right. Because we've been talking about a lot of negative. It's time for some positive. Put some positive into your man's life. And I assume most of you are men. So just put some positive into your own life and get yourself the gift of Manscaped. The best men's below the belt or females grooming company in the game. Lawnmower 3.0. Go get it. It's the trimmer from the future. The Terminator made it. He brought it back to, you know, keep himself clean while fighting the forces of good or evil. You know, I don't know. He's kind of ambiguous that way. And he left it here by mistake. And scientists replicated it, and here we are. It's a trimmer that makes it almost impossible to cut yourself where it counts. They also have balms, uh, anti-chafing cream, which is good, you know, for, for those who are doing not skipping leg day. And the best part about it is it's 20% off and free shipping with that code armchair at manscaped.com. This is a really good present, to be honest with you. Use the Perfect Package 3.0. It includes Crop Preserver and uh, uh, the other uh, excellent toys that I mentioned, uh, pieces of equipment that I mentioned earlier. So 20% off and free shipping with the code armchair at manscaped.com. Your balls will thank you. We have one more bet from this weekend, the result of which awaits us in the... Ravens-Cleveland game, and we've got the Ravens giving up three points in this. And we need them to win because, by the way, if the Browns win, it's going to be Steelers-Browns in week 17, probably for the division. The Steelers could start 11-0, lose the division, and lose it to the Browns, which we know how much I hate their fans after the Miles Garrett incident because I always cheered for the Browns fans in some way, like a respectful, like, wow, I cannot believe you keep showing up for this. You are a real fan, but I hate them now, and we can't let it get to that level, and I, it looks like it very well might get to that level, but let's place that bet on the Ravens for once, Ugh. but let's place it at bet online because they've gone in full effect with their wagering options, baby. Game spreads, totals, team player and coaching props. Bet online gives you more options to wager than any other place online. So head there today. Bet online. Use that promo code armchair to take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Bet online. Ching your online sportsbook experts. I hate excuses, mm-hmm. but it's hard not to think that a lack of a bye week and the fact we have played we played the three games in twelve days has not had a noticeable negative impact on the team. I agree with every part of that statement from you. And game theme number three is the three games in 12 days changed the course of the season. And there is no denying that the injuries go up when you play more games in a few days. The, the, the stat, it's, it doesn't even take statistics to know that, but if you look them up, I mean, the Steelers aren't the only team that have to do this. It happens to a lot of teams, and especially with the weird way it started with the Baltimore game like maybe getting played, maybe not getting played. It really took the Steelers out of the rhythm of their season. And, uh, yeah, it was damaging. And like you said, it's not the only excuse because 
you know, that didn't affect the way that you can't call plays for the entire damn year. That doesn't affect, uh, I mean, it does affect people pushing your offensive line around if they're tired at a certain point. You know, DeCastro playing hurt already, then you make a play three games in 12 days. Yes, it had a huge effect on them. And uh, it's not the only thing, but even if you don't talk, not nearly, not even close to the only thing, excuse me, but it is one of the many things that is contributing to the complete implosion of the Steelers team. And this has happened before. I want to say like the Falcons or somebody started out six or eight, eight and oh, and then kind of collapsed over the second half of the season. Even the Bears started five and two this year, and then we saw what they were. So you can pile up some wins while having major problems. And we were addressing that the whole year. But whether you think it was a factor in the Steelers collapsing or not, just from a narrative perspective, I think we'll look back at the season and see this is where it all went wrong. And look, man, it just does not seem like it can, it can get right. I don't want to be doom and gloom. Uh, it can get right. I mean, the Steelers, what, they lost like three or four games in a row that first Super Bowl season with Ben, the 2005 Super Bowl. Um, so they could turn it around, but the problem is I just haven't seen any evidence. And I haven't seen the willingness to even try to change from the offensive side of the ball, which we know is the issue. So that's what scares me, and I just can't believe we haven't seen it until then. I think the fact that Tomlin so willingly dodged that question when he was asked it uh, is, a, is an issue. Brooke Pryor from ESPN also asked a question of Tomlin, basically saying, like, hey, teams have figured out this short passing game. Is a week enough time to fix it? He said, yes, that's it. No, no other words. Yes. And made her move on. So he's avoiding the question. That's when it really made me wonder, like, listen, I know some people hate on Tomlin. He doesn't give you any strategical really advantages, but he's unbelievable at working with Colbert on picking players, developing them. I mean, anybody who who, who hates on Tomlin, it's like, go be a fan of follow another team. And see how many of their players really pan out. See how many Cam Sutton's, Mike Hilton's they have. I mean, all of these, so many of these Steelers are homegrown. He's great at that. He's great at motivating for them, them for big games. He clearly had them up for this Bills game based on how the defense was performing. But he's overly loyal to, to positional coaches. He had Carnell Lake and Joey Porter on way longer than they needed to be. The instant those guys leave, those players developed. Terrell Edmonds was crap under Carnell Lake. He developed immediately when you got him out there. Uh, Bud Dupree was a bust. He was labeled a bust. The instant Joey Porter gets out of there, he breaks out. And I'm not saying they're exclusive, but they, they can't be ignored, right? Same thing with Butler. And by the way, are they going to fire Feetner last year? Remember when the Steelers got emasculated by the Patriots in the championship? And we said there's no way to keep Butler. Butler's still here today, right? But all, all that happened to me is you got eight all pros on the defense. So is Butler really that much better? Or do you just have such incredible players that there's a lot of coordinators who could be doing this? So Feetner might be back. So that's on... Tomlin as well, but uh, yeah, I, 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 you know, I lost my train of thought here. It's just it's it's, it's a hurricane. I guess this this doesn't uh, possess the pizzazz it did before. But seventy straight games with the sack, Steelers mm. established a record. Hooray. Meaningless it was interesting yeah. when we were on a on the winning streak. There was a little uh, NFL related news in the Wall Street Journal this weekend. The NFL ratings are leaving the network scrambling to make advertisers whole. And we've been wondering what was going to happen this season because this NFL C- CBA, this, the collective bargaining agreement, was really predicated on advertising sales, right? And the concern was you're going to have empty stadiums. That happened. Obviously, revenues are down. I don't know. And now advertisers are not seeing the kind of online viewing they had uh, been promised. So just a little bit of context. Last year, Ad sales were $3.6 billion for the entire year. They're down 7% so far, which, yeah, I guess I wouldn't get too excited in a year that we've seen with this pandemic, but the declines are in their prime territory, guys 18 to 49 years old. So they blame several things. One's the pandemic, that they've had to reschedule games to the less desirable times. They're missing some star players. Again, they blame the presidential election or the elections. And also the social justice efforts. I don't know. It's down 7%. So the Steelers... Uh, I'll say this. There, yeah. I, I, there's, there's a gaping, there's a glaring hole in those reasons why they don't also mention, like, just the proliferation of entertainment sources of Netflix 
Disney Plus, YouTube, TikTok, social media. So a lot of things, even if you look at, I mean, how many albums and artist sales or how many streams they have or this or that or how many ticket sales you have, you're also just competing against way more entertainment than you ever had to. Whereas, you know, in the 90s and even up till now is like football is one of the only games in town, no pun intended. And so I, I'd say that that's another reason as well that they might not be talking about. Is there's just so many options of things for people to watch. And especially at this point in the year, like who wants to watch no Dak Prescott for the Cowboys playing no Joe Burrow for the Bengals? I know that happens every year. But uh, that's one other thing I would probably throw into the reason for some decline. But 7% in one year. I, I get the decline yeah, in one over year, time. Right. Yeah, in yeah. one year, it's a big deal. That's so uh, let me just draw the example. The Steelers-Ravens game, originally scheduled for Thanksgiving, was going to ad sales were going to go for $1 million for a 30-second spot. Do you remember when we used to talk about that for a, as a Super Bowl ad? A million right. bucks for a 30-second? Yeah, yeah. They drew a million. We had, so the game eventually drew a mil, 11 million viewers, which is a third of what they normally get on a Thanksgiving Wait, day. Wait, but that are you talking about the viewers for the Steelers Ravens rescheduled Correct. a week later? Okay, well that yeah. that to me is an irrelevant stat cuz they played on a Wednesday a week after Thanksgiving. It's that no, but it, it speaks to one of their reasons is that rescheduling to less desirable times is also because the pandemic is resulting in lower viewership. I'm just trying to illustrate that. Did you mean okay, let me get this straight. The ads were lowered for Thanksgiving prior to the reschedule or after they rescheduled? So let me let me just be specific. So the viewership was over $30 million on Thanksgiving, 30 million viewers last Thanksgiving. This one, since it got the game that was supposed to be on Thanksgiving, Steelers-Ravens, was rescheduled. They only got 11 million viewers. So the advertisers, what happens is they actually pay full price for those ads even if the audience is less. And the way the networks make this up to the advertisers is to give them some free space later. Mm. Unfortunately, what is going on is that there is less good airtime because of all this rescheduling. The, oh, you know, if yeah. you, you want a primetime Sunday game and they just got moved to some different day, now there's less valuable real estate to give back to the advertisers, so they're sort of getting squeezed. Not that any of us have any feelings one way or another about, you know, like we need these guys to be rich, but we do want the dollars because no. it pays for players. Yeah, I was going to say, and no, we're we have a, 20- a big horse in this game. The Steelers are about to hemorrhage players as a result of this and the salary cap going down. Yeah, I, it's unimaginable to me because it looks like that pool's going to go down 20 to 25% unless somebody does something. You know, Congress can just keep spending money they don't have, but the NFL actually has to have commitments before they can commit to these player contracts. Yeah, well, that's great. That's a nice positive spin on this positive year. Um, but uh, It's going to get worse next year. Great. Always does. Uh, okay, so let, let's wrap this up. Let's see. Uh, can we put some positivity on here? Look, I, wanna, I, I don't want to be total prisoner of the moment and doom and gloom, but it's not a prisoner of the moment. The way the Steelers have performed, this has been a three, four, five, six week trend, and it's been getting worse and worse as it goes along. So yeah, the panic button is officially hit. Luckily, they play Cincinnati this week, and they don't have Burrow, so they really suck. I mean, I could, of course I can see the Steelers coming out flat against them, but uh, you do have a chance to get you know one extra day of rest. It's a Monday night game, and you can get back on track, which I know it's against a worse team, but sometimes that can help you. Just, hey, get off the, what is it called? Get off the, the shine? Get off the rind? Get off the schnei? Get, get off, off the, the stick? Schnei. Get off the schnei? Well, get off of it either way and win a game. And that'll prepare them to go play Indianapolis and Cleveland. Indianapolis, another really good defense. Cleveland, we know Cleveland, they're hot as hell. Wow, if they beat the Ravens, can you imagine how hyped they're going to be? Thank God there's going to be no fans in the, in the stadium for that game because that would be a nightmare. Um, and so th- the hope is not gone. It's on life support because <laughs> I don't see many changes. By the way, Doc- Dotson and Filer have pec injuries, which are generally not a quick injury for a lineman. So that's looking pretty terrible as we're looking at it. And I'm just, yeah, I'm upset for the future. I'm nervous about the future of the team because of the, the, the reasons I outlined. Like, if you bring Feetner back next year, you have no chance to me. 
If you don't bring him back, can you actually adjust the offense in that amount of time? I mean, I think that Claypool could take a big step next year. I think if you could get a big-time running back and maybe a first-round lineman, you could, your personnel will be even a little bit better. So, yeah, there's reasons to, to think you can improve. Of course, you still have a, a high number of great players on, on, the, on both sides of the ball. So it's not gone but it is just in a it, it's in a precarious state right now. The Steelers are, and and it's just so frustrating when a team goes friggin' eleven and zero, and you're right here talking very legitimately about, wow, this is this is not a a great team. I mean, this is a, a team with a major issue. This is a team that can barely score seven points a game on offense, and they haven't done anything strategically or performance wise to really suggest they can turn it around. That's what I wanted against the Bills. Is, hey, if they lose but they move the ball a little bit. I'm not going to freak out because that just means they lost to a great playoff team and they can kind of now start the process of evolving the offense and getting ready for the playoffs, which they're almost guaranteed to make, right? Are they, have they clinched or not? I can't remember. They might not win the division, though. You know, if you lose to Indy, whew, that's a big problem. So it's a scary position. The Steelers have turned it around in this situation before with that uh, Super Bowl run where they eventually beat the Seahawks. Also beat Peyton Manning's best team of all time in Indianapolis, fully healthy uh, that year as well. And, uh, yeah, so the hope's not gone, but, man, that was just a gut punch after two consecutive weeks of gut punch. And Steelers football has not been that fun for the past three, four weeks. But it has made for good podcasts. Chin up, Steelers Nation. Yeah. This is the website, SteelersOutpost.com. Hit us up on Twitter at SteelersOutpost or shoot us an email at SteelersOutpost at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Until next week, go Steelers. Go Steelers. Okay, bye-bye. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it and travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel, it's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash match. Just go to Indeed.com slash match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need indeed. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Searching for NBA playoff coverage? We've got you. The Old Man and the Three, presented by BMW, gives you an inside look into the world of sports. Hosted by former NBA sharpshooter and Duke legend J.J. Redick and sports writer Tommy Alter, The Old Man and the Three offers unprecedented access to the league. Tommy and JJ discuss the NBA and interview some of the biggest names in the league, like Devin Booker and Luka Doncic. NBA final season is the perfect time to dive in, and you can listen to The Old Man and the Three wherever you get your podcasts. To hear episodes brought to you by BMW. Push the limits this NBA season with the brand that set the ultimate standard. BMW, the ultimate driving machine.